Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Well, good day, sir. Howdy. (laughs) How are you doing this week, my friend, Caleb? Pretty, 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 pretty good. <laughs> we uh, we made some new friends this week, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. For our listeners out there, Caleb and I took the plunge full into bourbon culture. We stood in line at the local liquor establishment <laughs> uh, to get a bottle of whatever they had allotted for that week. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Um, and I have to say, for our first allocation day, we got pretty lucky. Yeah, and for those of you out there that don't understand this, Ohio is an allocated liquor state. So the state of Ohio has a lot of control over the liquor and who gets what. So they will allocate especially these kind of hard to get bourbons uh, to the different liquor stores. However that works, we're not exactly sure. We're still figuring it out. But we did know if we camped out in front of the, <laughs> our local liquor store that we would get lucky because of winking from the store owner. Yeah. And uh and we were lucky, Caleb. Indeed, we got our first chance to buy some Blantons. Yeah, we did. And I, I've never tried it because it's so stinking hard to get your hands on. I, whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but, you know, five of us showed up. And when you know it, there were six bottles. So we got one. And one of you will get one, too. He's pointing to you out there in the audience. <laughs> That's right. We are doing another giveaway. So to enter this giveaway, we just need you to subscribe to our mailing list. Show us that you subscribe to our podcast. Yeah, fair enough, right, Jason? Uh, How do our listeners go about doing that? I'm so glad you asked. It's very pretty, 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 (laughs) pretty easy, (laughs) actually. (laughs) Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes to subscribe to the mailing list. We'll also push this link out on our social media. So if you're a member of the Speakeasy or you just follow Old Fashioned Finance on Facebook, you'll see a link to sign up to the mailing list. Uh, You you could theoretically, I guess, just just email us and be added that way, too. There's Mm -hmm. lots of ways to do it. Uh, That's what we want out of this whole interaction is your information. <laughs> yeah, sort of. So we want to prove that we've subscribed to the podcast to get in this uh, giveaway for this highly coveted bourbon. Uh, how would one prove that they've subscribed to the podcast, Jason? Because we don't see who's subscribing. We just see that people are listening. Since we're not just going to take their word for it, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Although our listeners have got to be the most honest people out there. Well, I don't know why. Why not? Well, I can't disprove that. Okay. So... <laughs> Just in case. Uh, just in case, send a screenshot of of you being subscribed on whatever platform you're using to listen. That will count that as an entry. Send it to speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. That is our show's email address. And we will see it. And then you will be entered. And we'll go from there. Yeah. So not a lot of work for a chance at a bottle of the good stuff, right? Yeah. And it is pretty good. I, our Our bottle that we tried was pretty good, I think. I liked it. I, I, you know. But yeah. Yeah, it's not a lot of work like you said, and it's sure beats standing in a line at a liquor store at <laughs> 9:30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. Although we did have fun. Um however, we always seem to have fun except for that one time and we don't talk about that. No, we don't. Moving on. Caleb, <laughs> what are we drinking today? <laughs> well, Jason, this drink goes by many names. Uh today we're going to call it the Delilah. Uh, oh. The most common name for the drink, however, has become the White Lady, which seems politically incorrect, doesn't it? Especially uh, nowadays. I don't yeah. think you can say that. <laughs> really. Uh, it's also called a Chelsea sidecar by many. Um, okay. But for those of you mixing along at home, uh, we're going to give you the recipe that could go by many names. Today, we'll call it the Delilah. And here is the recipe from the uh, Savoy cocktail book. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So uh, one and a half ounces of London dry gin. Three quarters of an ounce of triple sec or control, which we used in this case, and three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. Shake it all up, uh, obviously with ice, uh, and strain that into a coupe glass, and away we go. Uh, now, yeah. some recipes do include an egg white in there. Um, now, you and I have seen a lot of recipes that call for an egg white, and I've purposely stayed away from that because it sounds odd. Uh, but in this one, there's actually some rationale included uh, in some of the recipes. 
Uh, the reason being that the egg white should offset some of the sourness of the lemon juice. Okay. We didn't try an egg white. No. Someone I, told us that that's tricky, right? Do you remember? Yeah. It was uh, It was uh, our friend Kate at New Rift Distillery's bar. She said that if you do it wrong, adding an egg white to a drink can make it taste like wet dog. Hmm. Yeah, we weren't willing to try that today. I no, I was hesitant because of that. I I think that adding an egg white. I mean, we should add protein. I think that makes it healthy. And mm. um, putting an egg white in there, I think, is probably really good for us. But I wasn't ready to to jump that far into it yet. We'll get there. We're going to do it. We're going to start adding eggs to our drinks, Caleb. I I vow to you this day, okay, that we will add eggs to our drinks. Add it to the list of many promises, folks. We will add eggs to our drinks. Sometime, but it is not this day. Not this day. <laughs> okay, so we had these and uh, two versions. Mm-hmm. And if listeners remember our sidecar episode, uh, my reaction is pretty much the same. So, so this this white lady, this Delilah, this Chelsea sidecar is a version of the sidecar. Mm-hmm. And instead of brandy, we're using gin. And I like gin. You know me, Caleb. I'm yep. a gin fan. I know. I am not a lemon juice fan, and the lemon juice in here really overpowered it for me. Again, that was my same complaint about the sidecar. I couldn't taste the brandy in the sidecar. I can't taste the gin in this Delilah. It's just very lemony, and that made me not excited about it. If you're listening at home and you're, you're mixing one up, if you like lemon, then this might be right up your alley. If you're a little overpowered by the sourness of the lemon, I guess you could try an egg white and let us know how it goes. But we, we adjusted this a little bit. We, we tried the, the first cocktail that we made according to the Savoy cocktail book exactly, just like I read off to you. The second time around, we did actually two ounces of London Dry Gin mm-hmm. and three quarters of an ounce of triple sec. And I cut the lemon juice, uh, lemon juice back to a half an ounce. Yeah. Thinking, okay, bring the gin up a half an ounce, bring the lemon juice down a quarter of an ounce. That should balance it out some. It was still overpowering so the the mix that we had was essentially four parts gin two parts control one part lemon juice and i was getting a lot of lemon from that you know maybe when we get our courage up and add that egg white mm-hmm. maybe that will cancel out the sourness from that lemon juice and we'll That's love what it. it's supposed to do apparently if so. we if we we're gonna have to try it caleb that and out there if you guys listen are you guys listening try this drink and you have got because we didn't mix this up in our homes. So there were not eggs aplenty. We don't just keep raw eggs at the office fridge <laughs> um, for whatever reason. Uh, but if you've got some at home, maybe try it out and let us know what you think at the speakeasy. I'm interested to know if that does make a huge difference because I really wanted to like the sidecar. I really wanted to like this too. Yeah. It's just, it just wasn't doing it for me. So I actually, the third time around, I cut the lemon juice out of it entirely, and I just put a, a lemon wedge in and kind of garnished with a uh, lemon wedge. I did two ounces of gin, uh, three quarters of an ounce of Contro, and then just garnished with a lemon. And right. it, while it changes the drink quite a bit, um, I felt like I could taste the other elements of the drink more, um, and I still got a hint of the lemon from the wedge. That might be a way to try it, too, if you're really uh, opposed to the sourness. But it's a really easy drink to make. There's not a lot to it. Um it's worth checking out, I think. Oh, yeah. You can feel a little bit fancy. This is one of those drinks you're supposed to serve in a coupe glass, mm-hmm. too, or a cocktail glass. So you feel like a, a bit of a fancy man having a fancy cocktail, especially if you call it a, a Chelsea sidecar or a white lady or a Delilah. I think people's curiosity will be pe- peaked yeah, if you do that. So. Caleb, do you know uh, in your research for this who invented it? Wasn't there some controversy associated with this drink? Yeah, I'll get to that, though. Oh, let's, okay. Let's, let's hold off on that for just a minute. Oh. So I will. Uh, oh. we should probably talk about let's save it. How we're going to tie this into the episode? <laughs> Why, right? <laughs> Why did we do the Delilah or the White Lady this time around? Well, I guess let's let's do this, Jason. What do you immediately think of when you hear the name Delilah? Think of the plain white tees. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> that song was playing on repeat. I was a member at the Y or a gym uh-huh. or something, and you're trying to get all psyched up, and it's like, "Hey there, Delilah." <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you're, I don't. You're th- not gonna do squats. Listening squats, to and you no. never skip leg day. No. Uh, so, okay. So not not them. Uh, I think of I think of Samson and Delilah. Okay. Keep keep going with that. Okay. I think of uh, superhuman strength, like the Hulk. Maybe you're getting cold. 
Oh, okay. I think of long hair. Uh, oh, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, I'm not going to just give you the answer. I think of uh, I think of of Samson breaking the law of God repeatedly. Ooh. Okay, you're getting warmer. Okay, okay. I think of Samson abusing his gifts. I, I guess you could tie that in. I think. Oh wait, no. You said Delilah. We're on. Think Del- of Delilah. I, I went down. I went down a Samson track. Yeah, you did. I mean, he, he's cool. He killed so many people with the jawbone of a <laughs> whooping on a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey and, and just tying, tying a bunch of foxes together, <laughs> setting all the fields on fire. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah, he was a troublemaker. Okay, yeah, he was. okay, he was but Delilah. Rascal. We're talking about Delilah. <laughs> um, so uh, betrayal. Bingo. Go on. Keep going. Uh, just like infidelity. Boom. Being, oh. nope. Stop right there. Stop right there. All of those things. Today, we are talking about financial infidelity. You nailed it. Oh, this is some heavy S, my friend. Some heavy stuff. Yeah, that it is. It it really is. Um, this is going to be this is going to be an episode, my friend. Yeah, boy, this is heavy. I I hope we're prepared to deal with this with the seriousness that it deserves, Caleb. Yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> After we drink. <laughs> that always makes us more serious. So, Caleb, what exactly is financial infidelity? That's a good question. You say, what exactly is it? Well, it's a lot of things. It can manifest itself in many ways. But before we do, why don't we get back to that drink history, and then we'll just go full-blown into financial infidelity, and we'll get serious about it, okay? All right. Sounds like a plan to me, my friend. So sorry to jump around here. Drink history. So this drink is commonly believed to have been invented in 1919 by a bartender named Harry McElhoney. I believe that that's the correct pronunciation. Uh, initially, the base spirit in this drink was cream de mint, which I've not tried. Um, I think it's creme. Creme. Okay. Or or crema for the baristas out there. Point taken. <laughs> would you like to Would you like to do the rest of the drink history? Uh, I think you pronounce duh and <laughs> menth okay. In 1929, <laughs> Harry opened his own establishment, Harry's New York Bar in Paris. Uh, interesting name. And Famous. changed the recipe to include gin. So here's where the controversy comes okay. in. Uh, a year later, in 1930, uh, the Savoy Cocktail Book was published. The one that's sitting there on your shelf. I can see it from here. The author was one bartender, Harry Craddock, who included some of his own recipes, including one called The White Lady. So a little controversy here. The name supposedly came from an avid drinker of the cocktail, a Mrs. Zelda Fitzgerald, wife of famous author F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, my. Yeah. He wrote The Great uh, Gatsby, if you remember. You remember reading that? I do. I think it was mandatory reading in my uh, honors English class. Yep. Yep. Here, too. Um, And it's a story about infidelity and just plain shenanigans of idle rich people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, actually, you know what? Wait, uh, in that meme where, uh, Leo and the Gatsby, uh, Gatsby is holding a drink. He might be holding a white lady. Actually. I, he could be, I always thought it was champagne. I don't know. It looks like it could be the same drink. I'm holding one right now. So anyway, I digress. It is said (laughs) that Mrs. Fitzgerald, who was known for her platinum blonde hair was the inspiration for the name white lady. There's so much to unpack here, Caleb. First of all, Zelda is a name that is not used nearly enough. I agree. Uh, for newborn baby girls. I think we should bring that back. Uh, I mean, we've got like Link to the Past and Legend of Zelda and all of those great connotations, let alone the white lady herself, mm-hmm. Zelda Fitzgerald. Okay, that's one thing that first popped that, you know, didn't probably pop into most people's heads, but it did pop into my brain right away when you read that. Yeah. But also, is every bartender in the world named Harry? Yeah, I think so. Or Jerry. Um, Harry or Jerry. Seems like there's a lot of Jerry's. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, the controversy there being that this Harry uh, Craddock, who's been credited with a lot of drink recipes, might have yeah. just straight ripped this one off. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, he could have. Well, f- who invented the sidecar? Do you remember? I'm pretty sure we probably whipped that oh, up when we, we did that episode. That one, but you know, the other the other week, you and I invented a drink that was fantastic, and then we found out yeah. that all that was was a uh, 
uh, a Jerry, uh, what's his name? Jerry Thomas. Jerry, Jerry Thomas, Thomas recipe. Yeah, the yeah. godfather so of real bartending. I could see how that would happen, and I might just slap my name on that recipe. In fact, it's sitting on our fridge, and it says the best <laughs> Manhattan ever. So um, I could see how that would happen. But anyway, yeah. little yeah. fun history. If you like the uh, the you know the 1920s flapper era, the F. Scott Fitzgerald and his wife mm-hmm. uh, Z- uh, Zelda, honestly. Um, these two had a really crazy relationship. Um, there's a lot of good stuff you can read out there. There's actually some speculation even that she may have wrote The Great Gatsby. May have Whoa. written, sorry, written The Great Gatsby. Um, so she was an author herself. Um, she spent a lot of time in, in mental institutions and things too. But they've got a. There's a crazy history there. So when you dig into the drink history, you got all this other stuff, and I kind of want to talk about that. But that's not the purpose of this podcast. The purpose <laughs> of this podcast, really. The drinks are fun, but we're going to talk uh, seriously now, moving on to financial infidelity. You ready yeah. for this? I'm ready. All right. Well, to start off this section about financial infidelity, we're going to have to first define our terms, Caleb. Mm-hmm. What is financial infidelity? In a nutshell, when we were discussing it before, we decided it's it's really any dishonesty in a relationship about money, and it can it can manifest itself in in many ways, mm-hmm. lots of ways. Yeah, I I think that we've probably all in this business at least seen this. Um, our listeners maybe haven't. I mean, unless they've been a part of it, uh, maybe haven't seen it. But I think you and I have seen forms of this in different degrees too. Um, but it could be something like hiding debt. Um, how easy is it to hide debt these days, Jason? Yeah, right. Online Super banking, easy. you don't even have a paper statement anymore. Exactly. So, yeah. It's like pulling teeth if you if you want to get a paper statement. And yeah. if you call someone to get uh, information, well, we'll give you that information, but we're opting you into electronic statements. So, I mean, that's even if you're trying to get paper statements, you can't get them. Think about how easy it is to hide something from your spouse if you really wanted to. Let's stop right there and say, this is not a how-to cheat on your spouse <laughs> financially. <laughs> Uh, but we are going to talk about ways that we've seen it. Uh, if for... if I were to commit financial infidelity, this is what I would do. How to identify financial <laughs> infidelity. <laughs> so that's yeah. a big one, right? Hiding yeah. debt. You can hide debt. You can hide money. Uh, for all the same reasons that we described about hiding debt, it's it's equally easy to hide money. Now, mm-hmm. you could you could hide money in cash. Just And a lot of people do this. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, they'll, you know, you take money out of the ATM and you squirrel away, and that's that's all of a sudden that's just your money. You don't have to share it. Nobody knows what happened. Yeah. Uh, or you could be keeping separate accounts, which is a different level, a little bit bigger. Uh, but lots of people do that too. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and that's and, not a real blatant uh, way no. of doing it. Some people agree to keep separate accounts. Yeah, we should probably talk easier. about that. Yeah, uh, we, well, yeah. we should. Uh, yeah. Those are some of the things that we've highlighted, though: hiding debt, hiding money. Uh, the next one was hiding uh, uh, dishonest spending. Um, yeah. And that can be ATM withdrawals to hide purchases, uh, yeah. things like that. So why don't we do this? Uh, why rounding. don't we jump into the first heading here that we have uh, hiding debt and and some of the ways that we've seen that occur, some of the ways that practically. And, and here's the deal. You might be committing some of these uh, violations without really knowing it too. Yeah, I, I want to. So I'll pull back a little bit. We're talking about financial infidelity. It's a heavy topic. You might not want to be listening because you're like, oh, this is doesn't harsh, apply. And, and it doesn't apply. Um, so Caleb and I have each been married, not to each other, but to <laughs> to our wives for a while now, and and we fought through a lot of these kinds of issues. It's hard being married. The two become one, and all of a sudden you've got to figure out money. And we talk about this with our clients a lot too. You, you have to bring your goals into alignment. I know we've yeah. talked about this before. You have to bring your values into alignment. And then you have to have complete transparency. If you're married, my opinion has always been, it's now your finances. They are combined. Because mm-hmm. depending on the state you live in, they are anyway, legally. But just from a pragmatic standpoint, from a like you guys decided to stand up in front of a bunch of people and yoke yourselves together and commit to uh, living together in sickness and in health and in richness and in poorness Mm -hmm. and till death do you part. So put your money together. It just makes a lot of sense. And I know that alone strikes a nerve. We're talking about financial infidelity. And if you keep separate finances from your spouse, you probably think this doesn't apply. 
in in a lot of ways it doesn't because you're you're acting like like you're not married when it comes to money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that I wanted to say that I also want to speak to you. You brought it up like accidental financial infidelity is different than the like medium amounts of financial infidelity that we'll talk about where you are trying to deceive because you're ashamed or, you know, or maybe you're trying to surprise your spouse and you're hoarding cash. <laughs> so you can buy them a gift. I've always hoped my wife was doing that. Yeah, that's and- a. <laughs> That's a Dick Van Dyke episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, Mary Tyler Moore does that for him. Uh, yeah, or yeah. Laura, Laura Petri. Laura does Petri. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> such a good show. <laughs> that is great. And and I, the good lessons you can learn from the Dick Van Dyke show. So, but I wanted to I wanted to say we're not financial infidelity. Like on the on the, it, it can be a slippery slope. So you can be starting out with these these little picadillos, these little white lies, mm-hmm. uh, and they could possibly move. Uh, towards bigger, uh, bigger deception and hiding money. Uh, so like, you know, you racked up a bunch of credit card debt and now you don't want to tell your spouse cause they'll be mad and they'll get it worse and you rack up more debt or, uh, all the way to the other end where, where marriages end because people just straight up are, are hiding stuff like the husband yeah. that makes all the money and takes all of his money out and spends it on, on whatever he wants at the bar and doesn't Black pay for his Jack. kids' food. He gambles it all away. Yeah. You know, one spouse like just actively doing that, and that's obviously really damaging. You're really far beyond by then. Uh, well, well, we're not going to talk about that kind of financial infidelity right now. So if you're like trying to decide if you're going to keep listening, uh, we'll talk about ways that you do it, like ways that maybe we have experienced in our own lives or with our clients, uh-huh. and and how to avoid it and the importance of avoiding it. I think that's kind of the the point of this, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so I, I think what you're kind of saying is don't listen to this to find out ways to <laughs> slip one by your, your spouse. Uh, <laughs> you should be, you know, I think one of the things that I, I sort of tie this back to is like taxes. Um, gosh, I always do that somehow. Um, you, the tax man, Caleb. Well, but I, I mean, we see a lot of times when we review uh, tax returns, we'll say, hey, you may not be purposely doing this, but you're you're cheating on your taxes and you don't even know it. Yeah. Uh, and it could be the same way with cheating on your spouse financially. Uh, and, and there's a lot of justification, you know, um, yeah. when we talk about like hiding debt and a white lie and then another mm-hmm. lie to cover that. And the next thing you know, you've got a really big problem and, and you can justify what you're doing because you want to, let's say, keep peace in the marriage, right? Like, well, yeah. I got into trouble. This is going to be a big fight if I let my spouse know about this. Um, so I'm just going to kick it down the road and I'll take care of it. He'll never know. She'll never know, whatever, you know, and, and we'll be, uh, we'll be okay. And then the next thing you know, you're just doing more dishonest things to cover up the previous dishonest things. The next thing you know, you've got a really big problem on your hands. Yeah. Um, so even, I, I think that the, I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't always come from just, um, you know, a, a, a malicious um, intent necessarily yeah. it can come from a good place and you end up in a, a really bad spot. So, you know, we're going to talk about ways that it happens. We're going to talk about ways to hopefully solve it. And if you find yourself in this situation, um, ways to be open and honest with your spouse and, and, and remedy the situation. So right, we're, yeah. we're not counselors or anything. Um, but I don't know. I, maybe we kind of are. We're money counselors. We the, do it every day. In so. financial planning, I'm finding more and more how how much value we can provide in the behavioral aspect because a lot of it is like psychological. And sadly, most financial planners, including us, have very little training in mm-hmm. therapy in dealing with with really complicated situations that involve a lot of conflict. And if you know, if you've got a married a set of clients, it's awkward times are going to come up. Uh, and so I, I think that we're not therapists. We're not licensed to talk about that. So this is a lot of anecdotal experience we have dealing with, with couples and their finances and then our own personal experiences too, yeah. uh, to try to apply to that because there's a huge part of financial planning that is not just ones and zeros. If it was just that, it'd be so easy. Yes. Uh, but we have to deal with the emotional impact we have to line line values up, behaviors, triggers, and yeah. and figure there's out the a best way to deal with it. There's a behavioral finance aspect to it, and that really this falls into that category 100. percent Yeah, definitely. Well, why don't why don't we do this, Jason? Let's start with kind of the first thing. Uh, you know, you you 
kicked it off well when you talked about getting married and to become one and and your view on on that and how finances should be handled. So I think the first thing really it, it makes sense to talk about would be hiding money or separate accounts, cash, things like that. How do you practically see that? Um, you know, uh, in our practice, how do you see that uh, occurring with uh, with couples? Uh, well, like, like the the first instance of it that pops up is folks are getting married. They have and and and, and people are getting married a lot later now than mm-hmm. they used to. And there's a lot more dual. There's a lot more dual income households. So I see people that have kind of started their careers. Usually they're independent Mm -hmm. and they get married and they decide the easiest way is to split things like their roommates. And uh, that's that's the first way people get into that. That obviously makes it a lot easier to hide the finances from your spouse if you want to. There are Mm -hmm. some people that keep separate finances and are completely transparent about it. They've got a deal that works. I've seen it. I've seen it where it seems like it's working, but to be real honest, I don't, I don't pry too hard on yeah, those folks. I, I think what you said there though, I, you know, some people can make it work, but I would say it's the exception to the rule. It, it, it's not the typical scenario. <laughs> you said that, uh, you know, you've, you've got your own separate lives then you come together and you treat each other like roommates when it comes to, you know, yeah. it comes to your finances. And, uh, I'll tell you what, um, it is a total red flag. So I, we might get kind of personal in this episode. Um, uh, yeah, so I, these I are think, our opinions. I think my wife listens to this show. Hopefully I'm not uh, <laughs> overstepping any bounds. But when my wife says, you know, I feel like we've been roommates here the last couple of weeks instead of uh, spouses. I know, uh-oh, yeah. that's not good. <laughs> yeah. But if you go into marriage and, and, and uh, you're approaching it from, you know, finances only. We're going to be roommates uh, in finances. You're going to take care of the mortgage. I'll take care of the utilities. You do groceries and I'll do, you know, whatever. That's a problem. Uh, And and personally speaking, we've tried it both ways. So I always joke um, when we got married and you and I got married at different stages in life a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was 20 years old when I got married. Um, Mine was one of those situations where somehow I got this wonderful girl to agree to date me. And I thought, I'm never going to do better than this, man. I got to lock it down. And she said, yeah, yes. well, yeah, you got to lock that down. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm like, this is I've already overachieved. Um, yeah, uh, you know me. Right. Um, so. We got married very early. We were both 20 years old. And the joke that I always use is we didn't have enough for two bank accounts. We could never do separate accounts. (laughs) (laughs) The bank requires X amount for an opening deposit. And we only had enough for one anyway. So uh, we started out with a joint account. And, um, you know, when things weren't necessarily going great, we thought, well, you like to spend money on this and I like to spend money on this. Maybe this would yeah. be best if we just said, this is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. And we just handle separate bank accounts. The bills get paid and, and maybe we'll, we'll be happy with that little bit of independence. Oh, so you guys went ahead and did that. You got we separate tried it. individual accounts. Like were you both on both accounts or was it just you on you, one and her so on another? Yes. Uh, now that, that is, so we were joint. However, okay. and you know, practically speaking, my account was my account. Her account was her account. Um, anytime she wanted to go in and look at what was going on in my account, she could. Okay. Um, but I can tell you just, you know, I, we're both, <laughs> we joke about this all the time. My wife and I are both pretty tight with money. She's tighter with money than I am. She has but- bought zero pipes guitars or pipe tobacco so yeah she's she's more frugal than you her liquor cabinet looks nothing like mine (laughs) it's pathetic Uh, (laughs) but um i would be considered the spender um i think and she's the saver and really it did feel we tried this for like a year it really did feel like we were leading our own lives and i have to admit it, it didn't work. We didn't do it for very long, but it did feel like in a way we just, we weren't united. It kind of felt like cheating. Yeah. And maybe that's a cheesy way of putting it, but it did. It just didn't feel right. I thought, you know, if we're together on everything in life, why do we separate our finances? It forces a lot more conversation and accountability when everything's together. 
that's kind of my, I guess, my personal input on that. I'm so uh, glad you shared that. I, that's great. I think that's that's a good insight. And I think a lot of people will probably relate to that. I, My wife and I, Joe and I got married later in life for me. She was still in college. Uh, some say yeah. that I was robbing the cradle. <laughs> uh, but I say she is robbing the grave. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not that far uh, different. No. But um, so, I was, so I was 24 and she was 22. And... That's funny. You were 24? Yeah, I was 24. I just feel like it was later. I guess there were so many years where you were there with me and my wife. It was just the three of us. <laughs> I was the, we were the, the tricycle of fun. I was the third wheel. No, uh, you know, Joe and I got married and I was, you know, I was 24, but I wasn't much more more mature than you when you were 20. Like I didn't have any great career pr- prospects or anything and uh, money was very, very tight. I, I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I hadn't even started in, in the career that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had fallen on hard times already uh, or was falling into hard times shortly after we got married and uh, was listening to the Pope of personal finance, Dave Ramsey. Mm -hmm. And he said, combine your finances. So it was just a non-starter. We just did it. And like you said, we didn't have any money. Like we didn't have two nickels to rub together. Like we were struggling to pay rent every month. We couldn't move money around. There was no money to hide. Like if Mm -hmm. I bought, if I bought, and there's infamously, I think you were there. I bought a video Uh game. I, we had a budget for it, and I bought a video game. It was a Batman. I one of those. Told you to do it. <laughs> you're like, well, because you're like, it's five dollars. I was over by five dollars, and you're like, if I give you five dollars from my wallet, will you and your wife stop fighting? <laughs> Can we go play the game? <laughs> <laughs> and I was five dollars over, and that was that was like our first uh, instance of financial infidelity because we had done a budget, and it was like fifty dollars for entertainment this month, and I was like. Oh, this is $55. No big deal. And then Joe was just like wrecked by it because she's like, how can I trust you with anything? And I later, uh, later ruined her trust even more with other stuff, like more serious things. But with that one, that was the first time. And we were already combined uh, with our finances. But me doing that parallels, Jason. I mean, that's a great point, though. You went $5 over. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's not a big deal. But we're talking about financial infidelity. When you say infidelity, you think of some really bad things. Yeah. And you equate that to, I only, you know, I only cheated a little bit. Like, what's <laughs> right. the, that, but that's what it is. Yeah. It's cheating financially. So how ridiculous would that sound? I only cheated a little bit. Come on. It's just a little bit. But that's what we're talking about here. Financial infidelity. Yeah, but it's just $5. It's not the same. It's not. And folks, <laughs> we're not saying it's the same. But. Yeah, um, there are levels to this sort of thing. Right, right. But right. yeah, there are parallels. You're right. And I just remember that messed up a lot of other stuff because we were so tight that that's $5 that we can't buy groceries with. Or, uh-huh. you know, we might not be able to make the gas bill at our tiny 200 square foot apartment at the time. So. It was important. Um, And that's, I mean, it's, there's just easy ways to make light of it or make, Uh make it into a little thing when it, it kind of is a big deal. uh, And it it does come back to being, to being honest, to doing what you say you're going to do. And the reason that people hide those things or that I spent an extra $5 or you guys tried separate bank accounts is, is it's because it's really hard to do finances with your spouse. It's yeah, really hard. It is. We all want to be in control. We all want to be gods of our our empires. <laughs> we want of to be dirt. masters of our domain. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and when two people come together, like those are both conflicting things. There yeah. are probably some very altruistic folks out there that this isn't that big of a deal for, but uh, it's it takes a lot of self sacrifice. And I just think the reason that people start hiding debt or their money or lying a little bit white lies about spending. It's just because it's so hard. Yeah. It's it's easier to say, yeah, I only spent 15 bucks on that when you really spent 25 or 100 than well, it is to say, I really want this thing. Can we get it? You know, that's hard because then it opens a whole discussion. You're like, gosh, I don't want to talk. I just had a hard, long day at work. Well, <laughs> and this whole thing is applicable to a lot of areas in life. But Jason, overspending by $5 because it's not a big deal. The five dollars isn't the big problem. That's the symptom of a bigger disease. Mm-hmm. That's the symptom of something else bigger that's going on. Right? Yeah. We talk about that all the time. It's. I'm sure. I know your wife very well. I think uh, she is a reasonable lady and a swell gal. <laughs> I don't think five dollars would be a reason for her to just you know go off. I wouldn't expect that from her. It's about 
it's not the five dollars it's what the five dollars represents right you're not that serious about uh you know, our finances, you're not that serious about our goals. We're not on the same page. That's a much bigger issue. I think when it comes to hiding money, separate accounts and things like that, I would, I would wrap it up by saying essentially, you know, here's my question to you. Maybe it works for you and that's great. Um, but again, an exception to the rule, how can you be on the same page? How can you be united in your goals and your aspirations with money? Because we know we know as long as we've worked in this business that money is not just dollars and cents. It's not just numbers. Money means something else to somebody. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, just, it's different for everybody, but you know, and we ask this question when we, we interview new clients, what does money mean to you? Why mm-hmm. is it important to you? Those sound like silly questions, but it really gets down to the root of it. Yeah. How can you be ni- united about what's important for you as a family, as your goals and what, what money is for in your relationship if you're not even operating out of the same accounts. Right. If you're Again, not even, you don't even, you don't even know what the other one is doing. Right. Yeah. Maybe you can make it work if you can. God bless you. You're the exception to the rule, I think. Um, or, you know, for some folks, maybe there's just that much money coming in, but I would challenge you too, if that's the case, that it doesn't really seem like that big of a deal, you're probably wasting a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I would, and I would, I would push back and say that I think that it's a lot of a lot more work to get on the same page, but once your powers mm-hmm. combine, uh, right? Because really, the only people that make having separate accounts work are people that have dual incomes. If you're a family mm-hmm. like me and my wife, and I just like, okay, you take the money that you make, and I'll take the money that I make, and uh, we'll just be responsible for that stuff. That would be a raw deal for her while she's staying at home, yeah. homeschooling the kids, and taking care of five kids eight years and under. Uh, that's just not practical at all for us. Uh, so I know it's we, referenced, money. we referenced the Dick Van Dyke show earlier and I can't, <laughs> I, I wish I could say which season and episode it was, but actually it would be really funny for people to watch. Um, it, it's that essentially, you know, honey, uh, Ricky needs shorts, Richie, right? Richie mm-hmm. needs shorts. Well, I just, I gave you $5 yesterday. What did you do with it? It's so crazy. <laughs> that 1950s giving your wife yeah. an allowance thing. <laughs> I am not a fan of. <laughs> Give her an allowance so she can go buy things for the house. Yeah, <laughs> while you go to the bar. I know Rob Petrie wasn't going to the bar, but... Uh, that looks like it was... You know, they were sleeping in separate that, that looks like it might be uh, <laughs> season two, episode 23. That sounds right. That's about where we are uh, in our rewatch. That's a good show, but it's really funny when you just look at how things were. That was commonly accepted, and it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not advocating that at all. No, being no, on the no. same page, it takes work. You guys, you got to work at it. I think that I think that even if you have separate bank accounts and you take the time to work at it and being on the mm-hmm. same page, you guys will move so much faster. It's the dual incomes pushing you. It just takes a lot of work, and it's the same for people yeah. that on single incomes too. Just do well, the work and I think you'll be more powerful. And you and I maybe are not as sensitive to this because we um, are, you know, we're married and we, we did both get married relatively young. But if you think about someone who got married a lot later on in life, um, who has had their own thing going for a long time, again, I didn't have investments and and other things going when I got married. But let's say you get married when you're 40 years old. That That would be a pretty hard transition. I get it. Take two people who have been independent living on their own you know, into their thirties or forties and, and try to do this, that would be an adjustment. And I can't speak to that because I don't have experience mm-hmm. there, but you know, I, I still, I, ju- I just don't see the cons to combining your money, combining your goals. If you have taken those vows that two are now one, why, why is money excused from that, uh, that vow? Caleb, you did some research about ways that people cheat on their spouse with money. I think it'd be really good sure to go did. through that. Uh, would you Would you take us through some of those statistics? Yeah, and those findings that you found. Well, you know what? I, I hate to do this, but before we do, um, there's there's one. I, I think we should touch on hiding debt first. Can we get into that just a, uh, for a second? Yeah, let's talk about that. Sure, because we didn't really go too far into that, and this is something that I've seen that is. It's terrible and it's destructive. Mm -hmm. You and I have both seen it Mm -hmm. uh, to different degrees. But hiding debt, again, I think in most cases, I want to give people the the benefit of the doubt and say that, well, maybe one spouse is handling the finances. Maybe they didn't do that great of a job. Or maybe the income is just not there and they don't want to bring it up to the spouse. Maybe they don't want to tell their spouse, hey, your spending's out of control. But we, we see this where, you know, maybe a credit card 
is racked up without the other spouse knowing. And then that turns into a balance transfer and another credit card. Mm -hmm. And now two credit cards are filling up and now three credit cards are filling up. Eventually we find out. I just have to, I I have to bring this up because it's pretty tough to go get like, uh, you know, um, I mean, consumer debt, you can get credit cards, personal loans, different things like that. Mortgages would be pretty difficult, especially (laughs) in the state of Ohio, things like that without a spouse knowing. Right. We have seen this happen with like credit cards, for example. And uh, unfortunately, I've seen cases where this doesn't come out until a spouse passes away. Hmm. Right. And then you've got a spouse who's grieving the loss of their loved one. Yeah. And then they're they're hit with these these bills that they didn't know about on top of a lot of other things that are going on. You know, you, you talk about a bad situation. You got a lot of a lot of crazy feelings going on when you lose a spouse or a loved one. I mean, that's there's thoughts of betrayal and a lot I mean, we're talking <laughs> we're talking betrayal and financial infidelity. Yeah. Throw that on top of losing your loved one. I've seen that happen. My goodness, you know, we talk about wanting to treat our spouses right when we're here. What about when we've passed? I unfortunately have seen that multiple times where a spouse passes away with death that the other spouse didn't know about. You're already dealing with emotions at that point in time. You throw, you know, $50,000 in credit card debt that nobody knew about on top of that. Things like that, that you think probably start from a good place where you're, you're trying to, I guess, trying to protect the other spouse from what's really going on. Yeah. There, there really is, there is no solution other than being on the same page. Yeah. Yeah, getting you know. there. I've seen I've seen cases where people will start racking up debt because they're in charge of taking care of the the budget and the bills, mm-hmm. and maybe the other spouse is making more money than them. So they're like, "Well, you you handle the finances," and they're like, "We just can't. We keep spending too much, so I keep putting yeah. it on credit cards." And then, and then they feel shame because the, you've got all this debt, and and it just snowballs from there, like you were saying. And and it's just it's best to both be on the same page with all of that it's it's very damaging it damages trust yeah. it hurts feelings it causes uh, couples to to just fail to achieve what yeah. any any of their goals might have been uh, well w- when you look at reasons that people get divorced infidelity i think is still the number one reason which totally makes sense but i think um you know I, irreconcilable differences is up there which i think could be a cop out <laughs> But financial infidelity, uh, financial issues, just financial struggles in general, mm-hmm. I think is still number three on the list, which is pretty high up there. You know, either spouses find out and, and it ends in divorce or they find out after the fact and it's really damaging. Yeah, there, there's really I don't think there's any cure other than being on the same page. Here's the deal, folks. Marriage is hard. <laughs> it really is. And that's I'm, that's why I'm trying to I'm trying to be understanding when people say yeah. when people have separate bank accounts, it's because they're trying to avoid money fights, which right. is like the, the main fight that married couples have. And they're yeah. trying to do that as a way to avoid them. And I just don't think it works in the long term. I put it this way, Jason, you and I have spouses who make marriage easier. <laughs> we we <laughs> yeah. have great spouses. Marriage is still hard enough as it is, though. Why would you inflict this pain on yourself? Yeah. Just add this to the list of things that you need to talk about so that because you love each other and you yeah. want to be on the same page. And again, it points to a deeper issue. If you can't trust your spouse, uh, your spouse with money, with spending, with where the money's going, where the money's coming from, really, what can you trust them with? That's going to lead to, well, if you're not honest with me about this, what else are you dishonest with me about? Right. Um, and then dishonest spending. I won't spend much time on this, but you know. We've seen it too, where there's large ATM withdrawals or you don't see a lot of debit card activity, but one spouse is taking money out and you know they, they can say it's for whatever. Well, it's it was clothes for the kids or I got groceries with that and it was something else. Mm-hmm. It is a symptom of a bigger disease, but these are ways that we practice uh, practically see it, um, hiding purchases and things like that. I don't know, Jason, I don't see it happen very often where somebody gets away with it. It usually comes out. Yeah, usually. Yeah. You had mentioned that I, I did a little research on ways that practically spouses are maybe unfaithful uh, in their finances. And some of this was surprising. Some of it was not. I'll jump right into this. So <laughs> we just talked about it. There are, oh, there's quite a few of them here, but I'm going to go from the, the highest. Basically, they, they interviewed folks who admitted to financial infidelity. I think that this study maybe maybe 50%, somewhere around that number, actually admitted to infidelity financially. So the ones who said yes, this is how they responded as far as what they did. Who did this study? The uh, journal? This was um, from the Journal of Financial okay. Therapy, a study from 2018. Okay, so, so just the people that said that they were unfaithful with money 
Yes. This the is the percent that they it. did it. Okay. Right. Okay. So this is just the numbers from the people who said, yeah, I maybe haven't been totally honest and here's how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So number one, I think this comes as no surprise. 24% of respondents said that they have hidden purchases or receipts from their spouse. I mean, no surprise there, right? We just right. talked about it. That was one of our big three points to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's interesting. Uh, 23% said that they lied about the price that they paid for something. Whoa. Yeah. So this could be, oh, yeah, I got that. It was on sale. Well. Or I know we budgeted know. $50 for this Batman video game, but I <laughs> and I spent 50 but it was really 55 yeah, I spent 50. I didn't lie. That's right. I also spent five more dollars than that. <laughs> well, lots of people like to round. So if you, you round down, if it's in your favor to be rounded down and you round up, if it's in your favor to round up, like how much did you make this week? It was $92, $100. How much yeah. did you spend this week? It was really $72, $65. Yeah, <laughs> rounding in your favor. But I would just say um, I the the uh, lie by omission that is yeah i spent 50 bucks on that yeah i also spent an additional 50 bucks on you it. tricky <laughs> trickster yeah i it's a true statement to say that i spent a dollar on it let's but. define lying lying is the intention to deceive that's it and that's really at the heart of all of this that's right it? you might be saying something that is technically true but if you're trying to use technical facts to pull the wool over someone's eyes it's a lie cop to it you're just a good you liar. Get in that, you don't want to get into that conversation <laughs> with your spouse. No. People. Um, so 22%, Jason, said that they spent money on their kids without telling their spouse. Okay, that seems that seems noble. I, I could see that. Um, t- uh, 19% said that they bought something on sale but paid full price. So okay. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, this one's interesting. 15% of people said that... Um, a new purchase was actually an old one. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, actually, this that. morning, this morning, <laughs> oh. I, I had I had my they're not not AirPods because I'm not spending uh, 150 dollars on them. But I like to listen to podcasts at night, help me fall asleep. And uh, instead of the big over the ear headphones, which are hard to sleep with, I got just little earbuds, just cheapo ones, right? And I bought them a few weeks ago. Um, and this is not saying that my wife has to know every penny I spend or vice versa. But she goes, "Hey, are those new?" And I go, "No." And I'm like, well, yeah, like two weeks ago they were new. <laughs> so I, I think people um, people exaggerate with that. Oh, no, I've had this. And then in quote or in, in parentheses uh, for two days. <laughs> you know, you just never noticed uh, until one day after I bought them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I bought that. A, I, I bought that a while ago, a while being last week. Um. So 11% said that they had taken money out of savings without telling their spouse. Yeah. So there, there's an issue, too, that we didn't really bring up. And, uh, you know, I could be guilty of this, too. Uh, some of us watch their finances pretty closely, and some of us have no clue what's going on. <laughs> uh, some of us fully trust our spouse entirely to handle things, and uh, they use that trust as an excuse to not get involved. So... Do as I say, not as I do. Guilty as charged. <laughs> Don't do sometimes, that. Right? Um, yeah. A part of being on the same page is probably, you know, being involved in the budget and keeping an eye on things too. So, yeah. Um, 11%, this, this is where it gets a little devious. 11% uh, have opened credit cards without telling a spouse. Yeah, that's really easy to do. And I know a lot of people oh, have yeah. done that. That's, that's, I'm surprised only 11% cop to that on this study. Uh, because I think well, that's remember a, this is just the people who have admitted to financial. Well, if they're going to be honest about how they that they've cheated on their spouse financially, it seems like they would they would cop that way. Like, what's a better way? Twenty four percent hid purchases and receipts. What's the best way to hide those? Well, it's to have an account or a credit card that your spouse doesn't sure. know about. So sure. I I had a feeling that that would be a lot higher. And really, from a personal anecdotal experiential standpoint. That's how I've seen people being mm-hmm. uh, keeping things from their spouse. Like maybe the spouse knows that they have a credit card and they just, you know, they pay whatever they want on it. And whenever they have a, a good amount of money, they might pay the whole thing off. Otherwise, they just pay, you know, whatever payment they can afford that doesn't look bad. Uh, and so anyway, I thought that yeah. would be a lot higher when we saw this report. 
So no surprise, 11% uh, opened a credit card without telling their spouse. Also, 11% have hidden credit cards. The exact same amount. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. (laughs) If I open one that I don't want my spouse to see, I'm going to hide that statement too. (laughs) That's pretty crazy, Caleb. And it looks looks like 2% filed for bankruptcy without the spouse's knowledge. How do you even do that? Uh, that one takes some, uh, that, that takes some real effort, I think. Uh, We've seen identity theft among spouses. Obviously, you know everything about your spouse, so you could take their social security number, forge their signature, take their date of birth, do all that stuff, especially in an online era. So I could, Mm -hmm. I guess I could see that sort of thing happening there, but people will go to great lengths to cover their shame. And I think that's where, what comes out of this mostly. So there's a lot of little ones in here, too, and the under 10% uh, lying to cover up debt, secret accounts, things that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Here's one that I thought we should bring up because I honestly thought it would be higher than it is. 5% have kept a raise or a bonus a secret. Mm. Now, this is especially devious. If you are budgeting with a spouse and everybody's in tune with what's coming in on a you know monthly basis, and you know that your spouse knows exactly what's coming in, but your boss says, hey, great job this quarter. Here's $2,500. And you redirect that somewhere else. I mean, that's especially devious. Mm -hmm. Not trying to give anybody ideas, but I thought that one, I kind of thought that would be a little bit higher, but... um, (laughs) You're like, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to remember that one. (laughs) If you've caught yourself doing that one, you got some work to do. You better check yourself. So anyway, all that stuff being said, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this poll. You can check that study out too. Yeah. But Jason, to wrap this up, why is financial infidelity so dangerous? Caleb, I think we've we've addressed that really. It damages trust. We've said that so many different ways and you gave really powerful examples for that. It damages mm-hmm. your financial security. I know I talked a lot about that. If you're not on the same page, you guys aren't going to be moving towards the same goals, which means that your yeah. risk levels are going to be higher of not achieving those goals, whatever they are. Well, and when you when you say damaging financial security, though, I think that sounds super obvious. But when you think about it a little more, yeah, it's damaging to trust. That hurts. But damaging to financial security, I think that when you've got a spouse who's worried about their financial future, that's I mean, that's breaking trust on another level too. You've got a spouse who feels like they can't trust their spouse and they also feel like they have a spouse that can't take care of them or they can't take care of each other. While it's the obvious, drill into that a little bit and and it's really, it's it's sad. It's a really big deal. If you love your spouse and I hope you do, you should, if you don't, change and love them. (laughs) Uh, You want them to feel secure financially. And you know, there may be headwinds that you can't overcome. Like maybe you just don't make enough money. Maybe something really tragic has happened to you. Those are things Mm -hmm. that you need to work through together anyway. Uh, But you know, if you have the ability to work to achieve financial security with what that means to each of you, you've got to do it because they're, you're married to them. You love them. So it should be enough incentive to do it. It should be obvious why financial infidelity is so dangerous. It's a slippery slope. It's lying. It could lead to usually a lot of times it's related to other forms of infidelity. And and it's really a a big bellwether for how marriage is actually doing because Mm -hmm. money fights and money problems lead to divorce often. And I don't want anybody to end up there. So Caleb, then the last point, let's add this to our distilling it down because we're running out of time on this episode. Uh, Let's distill it down. We all know financial infidelity is bad. It's bad. That was the point of all of this. (laughs) We don't think it's good and we want to help you. If you find that you might be doing this and you didn't know you were doing it, Let's talk about remedying that. Yeah, let's we'll change it. We'll distill it down and talk about some ways that we can prevent financial infidelity. Absolutely. Uh, the first thing that you should do to prevent financial infidelity, I think it's fairly obvious from how we kick this thing off. Combine all of your finances. Get 100% transparent. No, yeah. he owns this. She owns that. Uh, he owns this. He makes this much money. She makes this much money. Get it all down. And we, we had a budgeting episode earlier. I don't know how many episodes ago it was. Go check it out. Get on the same page with your budget. Get on the same page with your net worth, with your balance sheet, with your personal financial statement. Combine all of your accounts. It's all both of yours. You have to start there. Yeah. Setting goals and achieving goals. The first thing you have to do is get on the same page and identify goals. Wouldn't you agree? That's that's probably the first step. I th- yeah, that's probably that's that's probably before budgeting because you're gonna have a really hard time doing the budgeting. Yeah, yeah, tough to do a budget if you don't know where you're going. So this is this can be really tricky. This is probably the entry level. Combining accounts is an easy, practical thing to do. You just do it. You move the stuff around. 
sign add signers and you're done the combining uh, the the combined goals the the aligning of your values as a one unit is the hardest thing to do and you might need professional help and i don't even mean just a financial planner you might need counseling yeah because because things might be really bad you might be really far gone right it could be a deeper issue and a lot of times it it, it is a symptom of a deeper issue so Hey, that's good stuff, Jason. I think this was a really, really applicable episode to most people. It was a little bit deeper than we normally go, but I'm glad that we did it. We're deep, guys. We feel deeply. We think deeply, even though we laugh a lot and have the humor of an eight-year-old. That's how we hide our pain. All right, so uh, moving on, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, but Jason, before we do, let's do questions. Straight up! Okay, so this is a real-life, in-person question from a real client of other Jason. <laughs> Some of you know that we have another Jason uh, at this firm. It's terribly confusing. I get them mixed up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We're so similar. It's just so fitting to go with today's episode. We had to share it. Um, the question is this, essentially. I want to do real financial planning, and my spouse doesn't seem concerned. How do I get them on board? Jason, take it away. Well, first, I would just command them to get on board. <laughs> and after that doesn't work and causes a fight for weeks. Because it won't. Because <laughs> that's, a, that's a stupid thing to do. Don't do that. Uh, I The best thing to do, I think, and again, we're not certified therapists, but what I've seen actually work is coming from a, a, a vulnerable position. Yeah. Because we're we're hanging this thing, uh, this marriage thing on a crucial element, and that's that you've chosen to love each other for the rest of your lives. So with that in mind, I would go to my spouse and say, sweetie pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) That's a weird Al reference. I'm surprised we don't have more of those. Um, The the I would come, come to my spouse and say, listen, sweetie pumpkin. You said Zelda earlier. I yeah. had to. <laughs> Financial planning is really important to me. It's really important to me that we get on the same page and we get moving in the right direction. It would make me feel so much better if we could do this. Will you do this with me? Yeah. It's hard to drag someone kicking and screaming. Yeah. You know? So just ask them. Tell them it's important to you. I, I know it, I, I have a wife and we don't have the perfect marriage. But whenever we when she comes to me talking like that and I come to her talking like that, we want to help them. Like we want to help the other one because we love them. So I would just be honest and and say, here's why I'm concerned, why I think it's important. It's really important. Will you please do it with me? Yeah. They're not they're probably not gonna say, No, I don't love well, you. <laughs> and and like you said earlier, kind of this is a reiteration of a lot of the things we've talked about. If if a, if someone is absolutely opposed to being on the same page financially, there's bigger, deeper issues probably. Yeah. Um, if that doesn't work, there might be some other things that uh, that need to be done. You know, counseling. I'm a big fan like of counseling too. So I just go out there. If you're a member of a good church, get counseling from your church. If if yeah, and not, counseling. By the way, the the rap is if you're going to counseling, that means that your marriage is on the rocks. No, what it means is you're able to identify that there are some problems you want to work through, and that's. That that's a loving marriage. Yeah, there's still a bad stigma on that. I'm not a fan of it. Sure. So so go get counseling. Do it. Your marriage is worth it. It's worth the time and energy you're going to put into it. It's a good question. It really made sense, and it was very timely. Just Absolutely. A couple of days ago here in the office. So I thought we should share it. No surprises there after listening to the episode. If you listen to the whole thing, where we come down on that. So. Jason, this is the part of the show when we invite our listeners to speak easy about whatever's on their mind. This is a great place to share a recipe or a story or any thoughts, questions, and emotional outbursts that you may have. (laughs) We might have some of those today. Ah! Did anything come into the speakeasy this week? I don't think there's any emotional outbursts. Uh... Maybe after this episode. But we did have some stuff come into the speakeasy on our speakeasy group on Facebook.com. Matt Schmunk wrote... Loved hearing Caleb call out Ale 8 Ginger Ale, my all-time yeah. favorite ginger ale. Let's go. Now to get something <laughs> to turn it into a mule, he says. I think that I knew Matt was good people. Oh yeah, he's got good taste in soda pop. <laughs> 
What else do we have, Caleb? Cool, cool. Uh, so we have Cassie, uh, number one super fan, uh, writes into the speakeasy. Have I always missed Jason's freestyle riff at the end of the episode, or did I just strike gold listening all the way to the end this time? <laughs> I'll let you talk about this just a second, uh, That's Jason. funny. We've, I think we're starting to take our editors for granted, and uh, <laughs> they're being hilarious on us, which was great. Uh, no, Caleb and I, when we do these episodes, sometimes we, we don't have the music playing, so we just fill it in by ourselves. <laughs> And uh, our folk, good friends at Pottery decided that they would leave that in at the ep- end of the episode as a little Easter egg. And I think that it yeah. was it was neat to hear. I think that I was perfectly on pitch. Uh, it was pretty good. Now, and Cassie, God bless you for listening to the disclosures. Yeah, and everything. yeah. Way to the end. Oh, that's great. <laughs> cool. Anything else? <laughs> yeah. Tim Demland wrote in. That's funny. Ooh. I wonder if we're related. <laughs> he has the same last name as me. Uh, that's my dad. Uh, he wrote into the speakeasy, kind of enjoying this Kentucky mule. Thanks for the info. That's great. I think our mule episode really struck with a lot of people. I think because it's so cheap and easy to make and delicious. They're they're great. They've become a favorite at the office. It's the summer. Uh, I know my wife prefers them over the gin and tonic. And so I'm making a lot more of them. It's great. Thanks a lot for all your feedback, everyone. So I have some feedback here too, Jason. This is audio feedback. Okay. Uh, all right. So this is some audio feedback I got from, I don't know who this person is, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought we should play it. So here goes. Just want to tell you I got bone to pick with you. Um, I listened to these two cool guys talking about um, money and budgets. And um, I feel this podcast that I listen to because they're pretty cool and they know some stuff and we should be on a better budget like I've you know I feel like I always bring up and then you know (laughs) whatever so you know maybe you should listen to that podcast forget what it's called I don't know something like like two friends and drinks or something this one's this topic's pretty cool and um it's about budget so maybe you should listen to it wow so did you start listening to that podcast yet oh here there's um, more okay enjoy it let me know what you think and maybe we can start this budget thing they talk about like or go back to it i should say oh man that was our budget episode Jeez. really got to someone <laughs> i don't know who that is but uh she feels pretty strong. That was really passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, honey. Caleb, you should do a budget. Why are you not? Oh, we're doing a budget. I'm just not as involved as I should be. Well, I I have I have some work to do as well at home on my budget. So it's not just you. I'm sure that uh, Joe's listening and thinking, let's have a. Actually, we're supposed to have a budget committee meeting tonight. I'll let you know how it goes. All right, so Jason, good show. Um, we always ask for feedback, uh, and I think that this is one that you and I got a little bit personal with this episode. We would encourage our listeners out there too. Don't be shy. Everything's anonymous. If you have any stories or anything like that that you'd like to share, part of why we do this job is to put people in... I shouldn't say part. Why we do this job is to put people in a better situation, help them out with finances, um, that is what keeps us going. That's why we come to work every day. This is the real important stuff. Um, if you have any questions, comments, stories, or anything regarding financial infidelity and things like that, um, you know, we'd love to hear that stuff. If there's anything yeah. you'd be willing for us to share on the show, uh, I think that can be very therapeutic for some of our listeners out there who might be going through this stuff. So you can do that through the Speakeasy. Uh, you can email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. Find us on Facebook. There's lots of ways to do it. So. Jason, what do you say? Caleb, I've had a great time talking about a serious and heavy topic. I hope it's been very valuable to people. And I do. I want to reiterate what you said. Reach out to us, folks. We'd love to talk to you about it because this is this is hard. And I know it affects almost everyone. But yeah, all being said, all being said, thanks for having a drink with us this week. It's time to close out that tab. If you have a question or a topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance Podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Cheers.
Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.